This is an Equity Mates Media podcast. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I will say this about investing. Everything you do learn is cumulative. What I learned at 20 is Welcome to another episode of Equity Mates, a podcast that follows our journey of investing. Whether you're an absolute beginner or approaching Warren Buffett status, our aim is to help break down your barriers from beginning to dividend. My name is Bryce, and as always, I'm joined by my equity buddy, Ren. How are you going? I'm very good, Bryce. I am pumped for this interview. We've spoken to a lot of managers, a lot of CEOs in our four and a bit years of doing this show. This is a first for us, though. First time we're speaking to the CEO of a SPAC. Yes, we've heard a lot about SPACs. If you haven't heard about them, we're about to find out about them. It is our pleasure to welcome Enrique Clicks to the studio. Enrique, welcome. Hi, guys. Great to be here. Fantastic um, to spend time with you today. So Enrique is the founder and CEO of Integral Acquisition Corp, a NASDAQ-listed SPAC. The ticker is INT. And we're about to find out what all of that means in a moment. But uh, Enrique, we like to start all of these interviews with the same question to understand a little bit about yourself. Can you tell us the story of your very first investment? Oh, uh, great story. Um, uh, well, after graduating from uni, I started my career as an equity research analyst. So I was uh, conflicted uh, from many situations. Uh, so I couldn't invest in, in many of the stocks I was researching. Um, so I had to wait a few years until uh, I ended up investing in a fidelity fund, a China fund, which was not um, the geography I was focused on. It was a good investment, uh, but returns were not great. After that, when I left uh, the equity research, uh, my equity research role, I started investing in um, companies that uh, were in the tech space. I started early in Google, but more than the the stock itself, I think it's important uh, to reflect on my style. Um, I'm very passionate about doing research and we'll probably talk about that uh, when we talk about the SPAC. I'm a great believer in doing your homework and reading financial statements, uh, looking at management, looking at the market they operate in. And in particular, uh, I pay a lot of attention to cash flow statements. Uh, so uh, I don't invest uh, in in a publicly listed uh, company unless I had a look at the, the cash flow statements. I also look at debt levels. I have some level of respect for PLs. Uh, most people talk about PLs, but I'm passionate, totally, totally passionate about cash, cash and cash flows. 
Well, Enrique, before launching this SPAC, uh, you worked as a management consultant and in investment banking. What did you learn from this career? And in particular, uh, what are some of the hallmarks of the best companies you've worked with, both as a management consultant and investment banker? Look, um, they're both amazing environments. Uh, I strongly recommend people who want to be in business, uh, either call it as an employee or at some point start their own businesses to have an experience in, in these two interest, industries. Uh, both in investment banking and management consulting, I learned skills that are very valuable for the rest of my, they were very valuable for the rest of my life. I'm thinking about valuation skills, the network of people you develop, you know, friends that will stay with you for the rest of your life, doing business and, and helping you do business. Fundamentally, you gain exposure to very complex processes and some great businesses across different industries and geographies. But I want to emphasize uh, in investment banking, uh, valuation skills, how to interpret and analyze financial statements, and also how to conduct due diligence. Those were the skills I gained in investment banking. In management consulting, I, I learned how to approach problems systematically and how to generate alternative solutions. Also, how to look at problems in areas that were not obvious uh, for a finance person like me, like supply chain, operations, or organizational structures. Uh, and I learned all that. And then finally, how to lead uh, large-scale uh, transformations. So uh, great experiences. The common denominator of my best memories are associated with companies that have very strong culture, you know, mm. where there is a particular way of doing things, particular way of approaching problems. So let's turn our attention to the SPACs, otherwise known as special purpose acquisition companies. And for those uh, in the equity mates community who are unfamiliar with these, uh, these type of vehicles, can you explain the mechanics of a SPAC as well as how these blank check companies, so to speak, actually operate? Yeah. Look, uh, first, uh, you put together the sponsor. At the sponsor level, you you raise uh, the what we call the at-risk capital. The at-risk capital is generally equivalent to about between 3 and 6% of the total amount that you're planning to raise at the IPO. Then you conduct the IPO, so you take the SPAC public. It's a long process that takes uh, a lot of um, energy and time working with lawyers and accountants and auditors drafting the prospectus uh, and obviously at some point meeting investors who will back your thesis. Um, we did that uh, during 2021, started in, in February and uh, I ended IPOing in, uh, in November. After you raise your capital through an IPO, um, and most PACs these days are listed on New York Stock Exchange or NASDAQ, mm. uh, there are other stock exchanges like Amsterdam, London, Hong Kong and Singapore that are trying to catch up, but SPACs is traditionally a U.S. product. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, so after you raise your money in your IPO, you usually have between uh, 12 and 24 months to find a target. Uh, during that period, you talk to many potential targets, trying to find the best fit, trying to find the, the best situation that uh, will resonate well with uh, NASDAQ investors or New York Stock Exchange investors. You agree on the terms of the deal. The key terms of a deal uh, are around enterprise value uh, and minimum cash that you will deliver to the balance sheet of the target. Uh, once those two things are agreed and uh, everyone is uh, aligned, uh, you announce the merger and you start another 
very legalistic process, um, filing with the SEC the merger documents. I would say that the two key aspects after announcing a deal are working with the SEC to get the deal approved and the merger approved, but also working with the shareholders of the SPAC who uh, need to approve the merger and vote on A, the approval of the merger, as I said, but also if they want to redeem or, or not redeem their shares. There's a third leg. If you want to bring additional cash to the balance sheet of the target, is you need to work with the pipe investors. A pipe is a private investment in a public entity. And essentially, it's new money that gets injected into the balance sheet of, of the target. So you need to work on those three areas. Uh, the process from, from announcing a deal to closing a deal usually takes between three and six months, depending on the complexity of the deal and, uh, and the kind of questions you get asked by the SEC. So to summarize that, uh, a SPAC essentially inverts the traditional IPO process where a company lists and raises a bunch of money when listing. Instead, it, with a SPAC, you raise the money first and then you find the company to take public. And the last couple of years, we've seen so much buzz about them. The first part of the question is why are they so popular? But then you've just explained the very administrative and legalistic process uh, and I guess all the headaches and hoops you got to jump through. Why as a SPAC sponsor or as a company that's merging, why, why go through this process rather than the traditional process? Well, look, uh, th there are four big ways of taking a company public, right? The traditional IPO, where you go through a book building process and you need to explore the market and you're at the mercy of uh, some bankers that will determine uh, what the price of, of your shares as a private company will be on day one. Uh, the second option is to do a direct listing like uh, Spotify did or uh, Slack did, uh, where you list your, your, your shares on the stock exchange, but you don't raise primary money, you don't raise capital. Mm. And that's perfectly fine if you have a brand of, of that caliber, but also if, uh, if you don't need additional cash in your balance sheet. The third option, uh, and it's not very common, I've been involved in a couple of situations like this in, in the early 90s, is the, the Dutch auction. So companies like Google or Morningstar went public through a Dutch auction process quite complex. Uh, not everyone leaves the process with a good taste in the mouth. And the fourth option is merging with a SPAC, right? And the SPACs have been around for more than 10 years, 15, 20 years. So uh, very, very well regulated uh, structure in the US. And that's what attracted me, uh, you know, the, the, the flexibility, the transparency and the fairness of the structure. We'll talk about that later. But going back to, to your original question, when you're a private company and you decide to go public through a merger with a SPAC, you avoid uh, what we call the problem of leaving money on the table. And by that, I refer to the situation where the share price pops on day one after the IPO. So say if you price at 20 and the, uh, the share price pops to 30, as an issuer, as a private, as a company that went public, you left money on the table. Mm. You could have raised more money yeah. for the same number of shares, or you could have issued less shares and reduce the dilution. So you left money on the table. Everyone celebrates, oh, the share price pop from 20 to 30. Uh, in my eyes, it's a total failure because it's um, with the same information, only one day later, you know, your asset is worth, in this case, 50% um, more. Mm. So someone mispriced your, your business. Yeah. In the process of going public through a merger with a SPAC, first is, um, is faster, is cheaper, 
you have more certainty on the amount of cash you raise. And if you are a manager running a, a high growth tech company, you don't want to be distracted by uh, the tedious process of going public, uh, dealing with lawyers, accountants, and, and auditors. So merging with a SPAC is much easier, much faster. Uh, we, we've done the hard work for them. Mm. Well, let's move to Integral One, uh, your SPAC. Can you tell us a bit about it and how and how this SPAC came about? I was here in Sydney with uh, with a friend of mine who works in private equity. We're having a coffee in July 2020, middle of the pandemic, looking at different options. What can we do together? Brainstorming. And he said, did you hear about SPACs? I said, no. What are they? Well, basically, it's a... It's a it's a way to democratize uh, private equity, he said. And I think the word democratize is a bit uh, overused. So I was a bit skeptical about the whole thing. Uh, on the way uh, from uh, from the city to Bondi, uh, when I was uh, on the bus, I downloaded the seminal paper from Harvard Law Review. I started doing some research uh, about SPACs and I got hooked, uh, totally fascinated. Nice. Again, by the idea of being super fair, super flexible, super transparent. SPACs were booming in the second half of 2020. And I said, this is the perfect structure we need to offer in Australia to help uh, some of the tech companies that we see here and, and New Zealand uh, go public on NASDAQ. I started doing a lot of research, uh, as I said, talking to bankers, lawyers in the US. Uh, in November 2020, I decided to raise some capital and we started the process in February 2021. Your SPAC, while it's listed on the NASDAQ, is focused on Australian or New Zealand tech companies. Correct. Uh, why why focus over here? Australia and New Zealand are a great sandbox for innovation. Uh, tremendous entrepreneurs, great teams, amazing technology being developed here. Uh, we've got some of the ingredients at the macro level that make makes this part of the world sensational, like uh, English as a first language, low inflation, access to capital, low unemployment, relatively high levels of education with uh, a big influx from immigrants with strong technical skills. That generates an environment that is very uh, fertile for, mm. for tech companies. And if something works here, you have a very big chance of making it work uh, in the larger markets yeah. uh, like the UK or uh, the US, obviously, North America in general, Europe, Asia. It's fascinating to see uh, the, the, the teams that we come across and the technologies we come across in Australia and New Zealand. Mm. And our goal is to help them go public in, on, on Nasdaq. Is there a certain dollar amount of the company that you're looking for mm. or are you just going to put all your chips on the table and try and get Canva? <laughs> <laughs> now, look, uh, the rule of thumb is that you merge with a company that has a, a, an enterprise value of between three to eight times uh, the amount of money you raise at the IPO. So we raised $115 million US dollars uh, during IPO. We also have two FBAs for a total of $30 million. The FBAs will convert in, into pipes. We took our pipes a minute ago. Um, so all in, we think our sweet spot is in, in companies with an enterprise value of between call it 300 to 800 uh, million US okay. pre-money. Pre oh, we can talk offline then if you want. <laughs> <laughs> happy to, happy to. Uh, remember, I'm very tough on diligence. Okay? <laughs> our balance sheet is watertight. So, um, <laughs> so 
with that context in mind through, you know, five to 800 million or whatever, whatever it was, as you're exploring the tech landscape here in Australia, how is that playing out? What have you learned? What's the universe of companies that you can be picking from? As I said, we're coming across tremendous teams uh, doing amazing things in terms of the technology they are developing or the the business uh, models they are putting in place. We noticed that there is a healthy tension between some founders and VC. We noticed that uh, most of the companies that are potentially attractive to us already left Australia. So the, the center of gravity moved from Australia or New Zealand to the US oh, uh, yeah. and, the, and the UK. So they have a, I wouldn't say a global footprint, but they have a, a footprint that involves US, Canada, UK, Europe, Asia. So they they change headquarters mm. or, or they are in the process of changing headquarters, yeah. uh, but they, they still have strong Aussie or Kiwi DNA. They have strong uh, management teams uh, that are primarily Australian or New Zealand uh, people. Uh, so it's, um, no, it's it's going very well. We're very happy with what we're seeing and uh, the tremendous companies who are very, uh, I, I think there are reasons to, to be very proud of, of the caliber of companies mm-hmm. that are coming out of Australia and New Zealand. Yeah. And then Australia, you know, traditionally known as a country that digs things out of the ground and <laughs> serves lattes to each other. Um, but are there in, any industries or sectors that, you're finding particularly exciting at the moment or there's a flurry of activity in at the moment? I think uh, sectors like fintech, uh, HR tech, ed tech, uh, and everything that is uh, deep tech. I'm thinking about LiDAR, quantum computing, chips. Uh, there are a few examples in all those verticals where you see mind-blowing teams with uh, tremendous uh, tremendous technologies, ver- very good, uh, very healthy cap cap structures uh, and very healthy cap tables with uh, big names uh, as shareholders that are very supportive. So now look, it's um, it's sensational. Mm. But those are the verticals where I would say are the most likely winners. Yeah, okay. So when you're looking at these Aussie New Zealand startups and comparing them with the startups that are coming out of the US, Mm -hmm. are there key similarities or or major differences between those sort of startups that are coming from the US versus the homegrown heroes here? I think in the US, and we spoke with a few companies in the US, in the US, the founders and the board members of those companies are more agile and they are generally quicker to react to market conditions and they don't get stuck in in what the market is is doing. I'm I'm thinking more about the the stock market, right? So they say, look, the market does what the market does. Uh, I will focus on what I can control and they don't get super distracted if if the Nasdaq goes up or down or Amazon drop or or, or Facebook drop or the the other way around. they, they focus on the, what they can control. Mm-hmm. The other big difference is, uh, and it happened in very few cases, but we've seen a couple of um, uh, CEOs uh, in Australia who said, I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond. They decide to, to go public in the local stock exchange because they don't want to have the... Uh, the governance, the, the the listing cost, the, the the accountability, and the and the regulatory burden that represents going uh, public on Nasdaq. Mm. So yes, they are avoiding all that, but they are also missing the opportunity to talk to, uh, you know, U.S. investors with with a, in the most sophisticated and, and and deeper capital market in the mm. world, 
there are very few examples, but a, a few guys said, no, I'd rather be a big fish in a small pond, keep it simple and move on. Mm. Uh, it was disappointing, obviously. We're not spending time with them, but we, we, we saw a few cases like that. But yeah. they're the absolute minority. Well, uh, let's keep on that uh, theme. Uh, we don't want to start any beef with the ASX, but we got a couple <laughs> of questions about the NASDAQ v ASX. Uh, but before we do, uh, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsor. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Today's episode is brought to you by Vanguard Super. You all know Vanguard's award-winning ETFs, but did you know Vanguard Super is winning awards too? Vanguard Super is backed by 45 years of global investment expertise. Plus, it's low cost, so you keep more of what's yours. The Vanguard Super Lifecycle product has one of the lowest super fees on the market, now more than 30% lower than industry average. So whether you're just starting your career or planning your retirement, Vanguard has you covered. Head to Vanguard.com. .com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super ratings, smart data as at 31 March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super Proprietary Limited is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDFs and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. So, Enrique, before the break, you mentioned that some companies uh, take take the attitude that they want to be the big fish in the small fo- the small pond, being the ASX, rather than uh, a fish in the big open sea, which is the <laughs> tech heavy Nasdaq. So, make your case. You know, I'm sure there's startup founders listening uh, to this podcast. Why should uh, the next generation of Australian tech companies look to list overseas via a SPAC? Rather than stay here at home, the ASX is a great stock exchange, right? Let's let's be clear about this. It's one of the best stock exchanges in the world. Very high levels of liquidity, good, good governance principles, good transparency, uh, sensational. But it's not the best stock exchange for everyone. Mm. If you are uh, into mining, into mining services, or you have a business that is very much Australian focused. Perfect. Mm. Probably the probably the ASX is the, the the stock exchange for you to list on. But if you have global ambitions and you're planning to attract clients, talent, and use your equity as currency to conduct bolt-on acquisitions, you probably need to think about listing on on Nasdaq or New York Stock Exchange. Especially if you want to raise your profile with customers, employees, suppliers, etc. In, mm. in the US. That's number one. SPACs are a great structure, as I said, very fair, very flexible, very transparent, very uh, very great stru- very good structures to raise and deploy capital. So if if the goal is to promote the creation of capital, well, I can tell you the, the numbers speaks for themselves, right? Like uh, in 2020, we had 240 SPACs. In 2021, we had 578 SPACs going public on, on Nasdaq. So. That promotes the creation of capital and it gives access. The, the rationale behind SPACs, one of the, the, the reasons why 
SPACs were promoted in the US is because they want to give the opportunity to the retail investor to have access to those great stories uh, before IPO, right? So if you invest in a, as a retail investor, if you invest in a SPAC, you buy your units at $10 per unit, that SPAC will then merge with the next Amazon, the next Google, or the next great tech story of the next 20, 30 years. And to you, be you invest fair, or the next Nikola or, you know. Correct, <laughs> correct. But the, absolutely. But at least when you invest in a SPAC, you have the option to redeem mm. and get 100% of your capital back. Yeah. And, uh, right? And there's no IPO that offers you that, that situation. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's why I say it's very fair, very uh, flexible and very transparent. In the last two years, I think, um, well, last year, 199 companies went public through a merger with a SPAC in the US. So it's a very well tested and tried mechanism. Mm. Uh, is it a good idea for Australia? Probably. But um, if we end up having SPACs uh, here in Australia or New Zealand, the decision for a company to go public shouldn't be influenced by that. The decision is, do you, the first question is, do you want to go public? Yes, no. And if you want to go public, then you need to choose the right stock exchange. And that depends on where your customers are, uh, your suppliers are, what kind of profile do you want to have, where your uh, peers are, your comparables. Uh, so even if uh, SPACs were allowed here in Australia, I think the logical thing to do for many tech companies is to go public on, on Nasdaq. I think I read that in 2020, something like 50% of the newly publicly listed companies were through SPAC, something yeah. like that. Yeah, but based on volume. Crazy numbers. Based on yeah. dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, because as I said, it's very fast. You avoid the leaving money on the table problem. And if you are running uh, like there's no tomorrow running your tech company, hiring people, uh, developing software, trying to get new clients. You don't want to be distracted by the IPO process. Mm. Uh, the merger with the SPAC simplifies that. Um, and and uh, so it's a, it's a product, it's a great product, but not for everyone. Yeah. Um, mm. and, and I think we're going to see, I think the SPACs are here to stay. You, you mentioned uh, there that we've gone from about 220 SPACs to 580 something SPACs. I guess something that people often worry about is, is there too many SPACs chasing too fewer deals? Uh, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. But you've kind of avoided that problem because you're focusing here in Australia and New Zealand and there's not too many people looking at our little corner of the world. There are, I think, uh, we had a look, I think there's two other SPACs founded by Australian entrepreneurs looking at this part of the world. So how do you think about competing with those other two uh, for the right deal here in Australia? The big substitute, not so much the competition, but the substitute is the opportunity for some private companies to go public on NASDAQ or NZX, right? So that is that is the first hurdle we need to jump. Mm. Then when it comes to inverted commas competing with other SPACs, almost every every SPAC out there has the opportunity to merge with a, with a company in Australia, right? There are no legal limitations. Yeah. Uh, the, the SPAC from the Katja Group, uh, Pat Groves, they are based, their headquarters uh, are in Malaysia and Singapore. They have a very strong presence in Southeast Asia, 
they only mention Australia in their prospectus. Our point of differentiation is that we are the only SPAC with boots on the ground. Yeah, right. Okay. We are the only SPAC in, in, uh, with Australian investors in the sponsor capital. Mm. We are the only SPAC with an Australian team. Four of our directors are based in, in Australia. Yeah. One is based in San Francisco. And uh, we're doing this for a living. The other SPAC that you're referring to, uh, I think Matt is um, is an advisor to the SPAC. Uh, so it's um, I think there's a there's a small difference there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, um, so it feels like you got a pretty clear playing field here. Is that how how it feels to you guys? Uh, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we we we're not relaxed. Um, I think we need to be very uh, sharp on our toes. Uh, don't take anything for for granted. It is competitive, uh, but uh, but we're very optimistic. Yeah, we're okay. very very optimistic, uh, especially because of the the caliber of companies we're coming across. Mm. Very optimistic. So you've painted a pretty great picture or rosy picture of um, why SPACs are a great vehicle. Uh, so let's have a chat about investing in them as a retail investor. Yeah. You know, we've seen over the last year or so, a couple of years, a lot of hype around them. We've seen celebrities get into the SPAC game, Shaquille O'Neal, yeah. Serena Williams. Yeah, like ex-politicians, um, ex-politicians like Paul Ryan and stuff. Trump's like just, in on the game. Yeah, yeah, people you wouldn't expect to be in I know, <laughs> and then you've seen some pretty big-name investors, Chamath, Pumping up Bill his Ackman, SPACs, Bill yeah. Ackman. A lot of hype, a lot of money. Can't wait for Warren Buffett to do a SPAC. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Well, some some relatives to, of him are involved in a SPAC, yes. Oh, really? Yeah. There you go. There you go. Not surprised. So, <laughs> so that then begs the question, what are some key considerations that we should be thinking about as a retail investor when looking at these SPACs that are being listed and how do we choose one from the other should we be looking at the team behind the SPAC deal? The, talk us through that sort of process and what we should be thinking about. Probably the best question so far. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I would say, first of all, when you invest in, in a SPAC at the moment of the SPAC going public, uh, look at the team and look at the, the experience of that team in that particular hunting ground that they define. Usually SPACs define other okay, I'm going to look for a target in this industry or this geography or a combination of both, right? Uh, so what is the relevant experience of the, of the sponsor, of the, of the board members, of the CEO in that particular area of expertise that they define as we're going to be hunting here? That's number one. The second point is when a SPAC announces a merger with a private company. And then the analysis or the, the key things to, to look at are no different to any other investment. What are the terms of the deal, right? So if the SPAC is validating uh, stupid multiples, then redeem your shares. Simple as that. Don't be part of a bad decision. <laughs> the SPAC is not responsible for running the company it merges with, right? So SPACs are very friendly towards the management team of the targets. Uh, the founders, they stay in charge and they run the private companies. The SPACs, as I said before, they provide a vehicle to go public faster and more efficiently, but they don't run the company. Uh, if you think that the implicit multiples of the proposed merger are very high, then don't touch it. Uh, as simple as that, uh, independently of what industry, technology, or high-profile uh, personality is involved. In, in the last few months, we are seeing that redemption levels are high or higher than in the past, 
and we're seeing that some deals are being pulled out. You know, mm-hmm. people pull the pin on, on on some deals, and that's a lagging indicator of deals that were announced six months ago at valuations that are no longer the right ones. It's logical to to expect that people say, look, I don't want to be part of that, that deal, so I redeem my shares. I don't want to keep my cash in that great company, but at the wrong valuation. Or B, I think I have better uses for my cash. At the end of the day, one of the key differences between going public as a private company, going public through a merger with a SPAC or the traditional IPO, is that when you go public through a merger with a SPAC, you can uh, show projections of your business. When you go public, the traditional IPO, you cannot disclose projections, right? When you go public through a merger with a SPAC, you can, because there are two companies merging and the the shareholders of the SPAC need to understand why uh, the SPAC is merging with a private company. When you do a traditional IPO, in your prospectus, you publish forecasts, don't you? And not in the US. Oh, really? Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Or are you just going blind? No, you present... Uh, historical numbers, yeah. but you don't have a forecast of five, six years like right. you like you do in 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 when you merge with a SPAC. Okay, um, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have access to projections. Uh, the management team of the private company is responsible for delivering on on the back of those projections. Mm-hmm. Uh, the SPAC was smart or stupid at validating certain multiples uh, for a, for a particular transaction. Mm. The other the other different thing about SPACs versus traditional IPOs is that in when you merge with a SPAC, you can put an earnout in place for the um, founders or the managers of the private company that you cannot have with the traditional IPO. Right. Okay. It's you know good good carrot for the uh, uh, managers of the private company to do well, and you know everyone wins, right? Because usually the incentives uh, are associated with uh, reaching a certain share price, etc. Why would a manager, like, let's say it's a founder-led company, they still have control. Why would they agree to an earnout and going through a SPAC rather than not having to deal with hitting KPIs and just do a traditional IPO? Well, mainly for the reasons we, we, we mentioned, uh, they're super busy running the, the business. Yeah. They don't want to get distracted. They don't want to have egg on their face if, if, if the share price pops on day one and mm-hmm. they say, why the hell did you did you validate a price of, call it $20, uh, and the, with the same information, the same company the next day was trading at 30 So someone mispriced your business. Yeah. Uh, and with the earnout, you have the opportunity as a manager, you have the opportunity to have skin in the game and monetize the results of your great efforts. Mm. I feel as retail investors, when the SPAC announces the company they're going to merge with, Correct. the analysis becomes a little bit easier. You look at the company, do I like the company? You also think about what's the likelihood of the merger going through? Is there, is there deal risk in the same way that you would looking at a merger of two public companies or two companies in general? But if you take a step back and you think about the SPAC when it's freshly launched and you have no idea who they're going to merge with, you mentioned a key thing to look at is the sponsors of the SPAC, who's managing it. You know, In the case of your SPAC, you and your team, we would look at your experience, we'd listen to this podcast, hopefully multiple times. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. Are, are there any other things that retail investors should uh, be thinking about? And in particular, are there any red flags that you notice of SPACs that maybe uh, retail investors should be steering clear of? 
Well, first of all, if you think that the team behind the sponsor doesn't have what it takes to, to be a good hunter for great opportunities, then don't invest, mm. right? Second, uh, and one thing that wasn't mentioned before is that when a SPAC announces a merger with a, with, with a target, they generally disclose which are their comparables and at what trading multiples uh, they're trading. So one thing to look at, and you asked me for specifically any red flags, mm. usually when a SPAC, in my eyes, right, in my, uh, when a SPAC uh, announces a merger and they don't disclose comparables or the trading multiples of, of those comparables, usually they, they're overpaying or they, they, uh, some people believe that they could be validating a very high valuation that will not be supported by great financial performance after completing the merger. So I like the, the merger situations where you have very good uh, comparability versus peers. And also I like the situations when there is a pipe in place Ideally, uh, that uh, the pipe will act as a backstop to to potential redemptions. So, mm. those are the things I look at. Okay. And and if and if you see an earnout, that's a, another very good thing to have. Well, Enrique, uh, we have unfortunately run out of time. We've got the three final questions that we always uh, finish with. But uh, I think, firstly, just a, a thank you. If people would like more information on what you're doing um, or Integral One, what would be the best place to go? Look, we, we reply to every email we get. Really? Um, you're, yeah. op- you're, op- you're opening a can of worms here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so the, the best way to contact us is by email, info at integralacquisition.com. And uh, our commitment is to reply to all emails. Yes, that's, <laughs> that's, that's also our commitment, <laughs> whether or not it pans out. <laughs> <laughs> so that's one, yeah. Well, uh, let's start uh, with books uh do you have any uh, any books that you consider must reads first of all uh, many of the books that were already mentioned in this podcast uh, are fantastic right so if you go to the equity mates uh website you, you see them all and uh in particular i'm thinking about good to great from jim collins or thinking fast and slow or factfulness or shoe dog those are books that i, I really uh recommend mm. but i want to uh co- make a small contribution by mentioning three uh new books right. one is uh, valuation by tom copland anyone who is interested in 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 how to value businesses how to look at uh, cash flows how to look at financial statements should read that book is is very well written it's a classic has been around for more than 20 years then a great book that I read about 12 years ago is Mastering the Rockefeller Habits by Bernie Hamish. Very easy to read, to the point, not super academic, uh, very practical, with very good tips on how to implement the recommendations and, and, and how to run a business around the, the three Rockefeller Habits, which were cadence, data, and priorities. Uh, I'm oversimplifying the, the book, but uh, it's, it's a great book, very easy to read and, and uh, very useful tool for people running businesses. And the last one uh, is uh, A Short History of uh, Financial Euphoria by Kenneth Galbraith. Sensational uh, Canadian economist, uh, was ambassador, US ambassador to India, Harvard economist. Uh, he wrote many books, one of them around the 1929 crisis, but the one I'm, I'm thinking I'm, I'm talking about a short history of financial euphoria is uh, 
is simply a must read. If you want to be involved in the markets, you need to read that book. Yes, right. uh, absolutely recommend it. Well, we'll add all three of those books to our website. I think they're all new ones, so I appreciate that. We love uh, understanding what the, what makes the best companies, um, what you know, what makes them tick, and how they're created. So, forget valuation or what they're trading at today. Just purely based on what the company is, what's the best company you've ever come across? Look, I'm very fortunate. I work across a number of industries and geographies. I advise many clients, again, on across many industries and geographies. So I had exposure to tremendous businesses. But uh, without a doubt, the best businesses uh, I work with or worked at are the ones that have a very strong culture. And I'm thinking about my first experience uh, working for Salomon Brothers. Tremendous entrepreneurial culture. I can do attitude. The answer was always yes. I really have good memories of, of Salomon Brothers. Uh, McKinsey is a tremendous organization. Uh, I had a great time there. Tremendous people, very strong culture again, a very good ethos, totally values driven. I think it's one of the best organizations people can, can think of. And then I was advising a um, tremendous blockchain company about six years ago before the crypto craziness. They were, or they still are, leaders in their field. They're auditors of blockchain technology. They basically audit uh, the code that people write. Sensational culture, very entrepreneurial, very transparent and numbers driven. So um, those those three businesses are are the best ones I I came across. What is that business? Best practice is not to disclose the name of your clients. (laughs) 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 Right? Fair enough. enough. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, That's all the clues that people have. They can try and investigate it themselves. (laughs) But Enrique, uh, the final question we like to ask, if you think back, you know, to your younger self, uh, starting out as an analyst um, and, you know, getting started in uh, financial markets, what advice would you have for your younger self? Oof. Um, I hope my kids are listening to this this podcast. (laughs) Uh, Take more risk. uh, Trust your guts. And, and make sure you're surrounded by the right people. The most important decision people make is who do you spend time with? Um, so make, make sure you are surrounded by the right people yeah. uh, in, every, in, in every dimension of your life. But mm. uh, yeah, those, those three things. Love it. Take risk, trust your gut and surround yourself with the right people. Awesome way to finish, Enrique. Uh, as we said at the top, we haven't explored SPACs uh, like this before. We've spoken about it uh, loosely here and there, but uh, to go into such detail has been uh, really enjoyable. So thank you for sharing your experience and uh, a reminder that if you are interested in uh, having a look at what Enrique is doing, the, the ticker is N-I-T-E. Uh, this was not a sponsored episode. Uh, we were just really interested in understanding and hearing it uh, from the industry itself. So how, how you know it's not a sponsored episode is you got the ticker wrong. What did I say? N-I-T-E. N-I-T-E, yeah. <laughs> I-N-T-E. <laughs> Tell you I'm, dysle- I'm dyslexic. <laughs> but we, but we thank you very much. <laughs> thank you for having me, guys. Uh, good luck with your what you're doing. Thank you very Thanks, much. Equity Mates Investing Podcast is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Equity Mates Investing Podcast are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. 
do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Equitymates Investing Podcast acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. Today's episode is proudly supported by Vanguard Super. Now, as you know, here at Equitymates, we hate fees. And after just over a year in market, Vanguard Super have lowered their fees. Their award-winning life cycle option now has one of the lowest fees on the market, more than 30% lower than industry average. With a yearly fee of just 0.56%, which bundles administration fees, investment fees and transaction costs, that's only $280 on a balance of $50,000. Extend your investment success with Vanguard to your superannuation. Head to vanguard.com.au slash super to explore Vanguard Super. Fee comparison based on super rating smart data as at 31 on March 2024. Other fees and costs may apply. Vanguard Super PTYLTD is the trustee of Vanguard Super. Read the relevant PDS and TMD available at vanguard.com.au slash super and consider if a product is right for you before making any financial decisions. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like, you know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. (laughs) This was, like, wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, but you, you were different. Like you were real different. Bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout season two, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>